All right. So, kiddos, you're dismissed. Miss Kaylee, I remembered, yeah. I remembered. <clears throat> hey, so today is a special day. Actually, every Sunday is a special day, isn't it? Just to be here in the presence of God uh, and to be here with you guys. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, so if we could, as we read the word of God, let's uh, stand up. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Open your apps. <laughs> or look at the screen behind me. Or not. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 and the first part of 25. So no, no one can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you are faithful to us through all the trials of our life. And we just ask that through today's word, that you will strengthen us, help our confidence in you to grow, help us to lean in on you just a little bit harder, help our walk with you to just be deeper. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, you may be seated. So I think the message will be, you know, somewhat short, meaning I'm not going to try to break any records for the longest message today. I think in, in times past, I've lost track of time, and it's been 50 minutes or something, and I saw some people in the back, you know, falling asleep. So that's usually a sign you're going too long. <laughs> but today will not be like that. Uh, but really, this, this message kind of spawns from last week's message, and how many of you remember last week's message at all? It's a little, a little bit. Yeah, anybody? A little, little bit? And we talked last week, actually it was a few verses ahead where it talks about in Matthew chapter 6 that we have a single eye versus an evil eye. And then if our, if our eye be evil, then how dark, that, or how dark the light is inside of us. And actually it says in, in Matthew that, if, that our eye is like a gate to our soul. Didn't we say that? That actually it is uh, what drives our, um, our motivation and our emotions and is a gate to our soul. So if our eye is wrong, that means our, our emotions will be wrong. And then our, our uh, soul will be off with God. So how important it is for us to have a single eye. And I just wanted to repeat this, you know, just for, because I, I, I thought it was amazing we said these three things. We said that Christ is our only object. That's what it means to have a single eye. That Christ is our only object. And we find in our life when we have multiple objects that we find ourselves never finishing a goal. Uh, I, have, I, I have projects at my house. You know, there's, a, there's an S at the end, so there's many of them. And many of them are half done because there's many objects I haven't set my eyes on one and finished it. I've started 17 of them and haven't finished any of them. It's the same way in our faith if we continue to function this way, that if we have too many objects, we'll find ourselves never reaching the goal. And that's why Christ is saying that it's so important that our eye be single, that Christ is our only object. And then we continued and we said that we have to look at Christ often. Yeah, I mean, don't we love our Lord? How many of you guys love God? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I just got a, a, a fun phone call. I use fun uh, actually very freely. 
and it's not a very, it wasn't a very fun phone call, but you know, and it just made me think how much I love the Lord. I love the Lord so much. And if people understand how much God loves them, and if people understand how much God wants their love, how much trouble it would save them. Christians today, by the thousands, by the droves, are in so much trouble today because they don't look at Christ often. They never realize that Christ loves them. They never realize that they love Christ. They said a prayer and they got saved. And we could have that argument if you want to sometime. And I'm not going to go there. But you know what? I, they, they say something and they say they believe. And I'm not judging. I'm not, I'm not second guessing. But what is evident is that their walk with God never goes further because they never look at Christ often. It is too seldom. And they find themselves in trouble. They find themselves in trouble. And they find themselves in trouble. And it's not like, you know, your mom giving you a spank and you're going to go sit in the corner for 10 minutes. You know, when we get older, trouble gets real, doesn't it? <laughs> and the decisions we make and the trouble we get into, it doesn't only affect us. It affects lots of people. It affects children. It affects, you know, spouses. It affects, uh, affects relationships. If I were to go on a selfish rampage today, I mean, it would affect my wife, my son, my, my parents, you know, my in-laws. It would affect, you know, my sister or her. And then, and then it would affect all you guys as my friends, right? All because I made a decision not to look at Christ often. And then lastly, we said last week that we need to look at Christ the right way. Like, how do we know him? How do you know Christ? And that is a big challenge in this day and age because theology or doctrine, I like this word doctrine. You guys ever hear that word? Yeah, doctrine is a good word. It's a theological term that describes the way God thinks. Okay? So if we are children of God, we should care what our Father thinks about, and you fill in the blank. I care what God thinks. And when I open my Bible, I can look at it in categorical doctrine, meaning I can go to 10, 15 verses, and I can see what God thinks about sin. I can see what God thinks about love. I can see what God thinks about, you know, justice. I can see what God says about forgiveness and grace and mercy and eternal life and angels. I can see because I can go through the Bible verse by verse by verse, and I can get to know Christ. Now, I'm not standing here foolish enough to say that I know him perfectly. Paul says, I know him. Right? And, and, and when he says that, it's like he knows him in a fullness, but yet he says, I have not yet attained him. That means like he knows Jesus, he knows his Savior, but he also knows there's so much more he doesn't know. Yeah, we're limited. But we open our Bible and we believe that we can understand enough about God so we can get close to him to make decisions in our life and to enter into the gates of heaven one day because of how we know him. If you think he is angry, you're not going to know him the right way. If you think he is giving free grace, cheap grace is a word that could be used, you know, you don't know him the right way. If you think, you know, if you think, you know, he is not, he is not God, Jesus is not God, then you don't know him the right way. If you think he was a good teacher, you don't know him the right way. We need to know him the right way. And it's after these verses in Matthew chapter 6 that we read this statement by Jesus. And it is so powerful. And, I, and it can be condemning. And as I was studying it, I was realizing a lot of pastors probably go that route. <laughs> but when you read the passage, it is not condemning at all. It actually sets us free. And we read it. It says, Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. This word serve is the verb form of a noun that means bondservant. Now, there's no way to dress this up. I think a lot of people are trying to dress up this word 
bond servant because it's like culturally, you know, not okay to talk about, you know, slaves. Uh, but the Bible very clearly tells us in some fashion we are a slave to God. There's no way to make it beautiful. It says it that way. And he says if we choose not to be a slave to God, then we're a slave to something else. That's why here in Matthew chapter 6, it says there are two masters. You can be a slave to one master or the other. But, I mean, you read in the Old Testament, don't you, that there becomes a, a time in a servant's life that they are a slave and they choose to be a slave because their, their, their master is someone they want to submit to. Or maybe the life that they have submitting to him is better than the life that they can make on their own. So they submit to him. I want to read these couple statements here about bondservant. A bondservant was an individual bound to another in servitude and conveys the idea of a slave's closeness to the master, binding ties with his master belonging to him, obligated to the desires uh, obligated to and desires to do his will and in a permanent relation of servitude. Isn't that amazing? Let me just say that in one quick statement. The bond servant's will is consumed by the will of his master. The bond servant's will is consumed by the will of his master. Now, we could sit here and talk about God's will all day long. We could. The Bible has a lot to say about his will. But very simply, Jesus is saying no one can serve. No one can submit to one person's will and then also submit to another person's will because in nature, the two wills are contrary. They are face-to-face against each other. That's what the Hebrew word is saying there, or the Aramaic in the Greek, it is saying that the two wills are opposed to each other, so you cannot stand side by side, you're actually standing face to face. And so many people today, they are playing games with God, and they, are, they think they're standing side by side with God. They say, you know, I am here and I am a believer, but they are not submitting their will to the will of their father, to the will of their master. And this is interesting because none of us have done that fully, right? I mean, we all have things we have not submitted. You know, like, hey, no, God, I'm not giving you that. You know, that's my TV. I just want my one show, God, that's it. You know, I, or I want my one little thing, and that's it. I mean, and I am not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to beat you over that because that's not the point. The point that we're going to see here is that it is impossible for us with a clear conscience to stand and say, I am serving God at the same time I am serving, you know, it says riches. I'm serving another master. It is impossible. Listen to this. It says, a bondservant is one who surrendered wholly to another's will and thus devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. The bondservant is one who is surrendered wholly to another's will. And is thus devoted to another with disregard to his own interests. Meaning that this is, this is very simple. That the will of something else becomes greater than my own will. Now that can be for God... And we're going to see this here in a little while. That can be for God, but it can be for anything, right? I mean, isn't that what addiction really is? What is addiction? Addiction is, is I am submitting my free will to the will of this vice. And so many people that are, are struggling with addiction, they will say they don't like it. They understand the harm that it does in their life, yet they have no power to get out of it. And the reason why we can say that they have no power to get out of it, because they are serving two masters. Now, this is interesting because there's another verse that kind of uses the same verbiage there. It's in James chapter 1. I like watching Gary because he's trying to figure out what verse I'm going I'm to say. And he knows his Bible. 
James chapter 1, verses 6 uh, through 8. It's the second part of 6. It says, for he, uh, James 1, 6 through 8, it says, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, and he is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> it's a good verse, isn't it? It is amazing when you are reading this, and I can't help but think that when James is writing this, he is thinking of this, you know, when Jesus was preaching this in Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. It's a long, long message, and he has a lot to say, and it is all about the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, you know, those two chapters, three chapters, it is all about heaven. And what the kingdom of God is going to be like. That's what it's all about. So keep that in mind when you're reading 6, 24, and 25. And here is James. He is writing these words and he is thinking of Jesus' sermon. And I could imagine Jesus writing these words and thinking about what James would say. And the connection that it would bring to those who are listening. I love it. But what does it say in verse 6? It says that if you doubt, you'll be driven and you'll be tossed to and fro. You guys love the ocean, don't you? How many of you guys go to the ocean for vacation? Yeah. I miss the ocean, actually. I'm from, you know, from Maine. When I was up there visiting a couple weeks ago, I mean, it was a 20-minute drive to the ocean. So we drove to the ocean at night and walked it in the evening, and all the tourists were gone. Nobody was there. You know, got some French fries, walked the beach, you know, walked off the calories I was eating, you know, <laughs> very healthy. But when I'm watching the, the waves, what is happening is the wind is driving them. The, wind ha the, the waves have no choice. And these are two words that are being used to describe a person who is unable to stand in their confidence with God. That's what James is saying. Is he who doubts, he who cannot have faith, what is he like? He is like a wave that is driven and he's tossed by the wind. Meaning that a Christian who is not confident in their Savior, who doesn't know who Christ is, and we can say who doesn't have faith. This word faith means believe, it means confidence, it means security, it means all these things. A believer who is not confident in his Savior, he is driven and he is tossed to and fro. My what? <laughs> Let's go to another verse. And these are all connected. I almost want to say sorry for opening my Bible, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, 14. That we should no longer be children. What does it say? Tossed to and fro, and carried about by every doctrine, by every wind of doctrine. This means that there are people, and they, I mean, this is saying children, meaning that Paul is addressing Christians. They are people that um, are, are there. They are believers, but he says that they are young in their faith. And it seems like that these believers, that every time there is a new um, a new doctrine that is catchy, a new message that seems exciting, uh, that, uh, that excites the, the emotions or that tickles the ear or, or ex, you know, is accepted to me. Every time that something new comes, that they, they hear it. And in some measure, they believe it. But what does it do? It takes them away. <laughs> it takes them away from God. It takes them away from God. And if I am believing another teaching, if I hear something that God, you know, did not teach me, it brings me further away from him, doesn't it? And then I hear something else, and what does it do? It brings me further away. And all of a sudden, I am believing every single little thing, and it is pulling me away from God. And God is saying, no, 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 you're being taken away from who I am. You're being taken away from what I want to teach you. You're being taken away from the will that I have towards you. You are being taken away by all these doctrines. 
You're being driven. You're being tossed. And I want us to be careful today that we are hearing so much from the world. What does success look like? What does love look like? What do genders look like? You know, what does, um, what does uh, spiritual look like? What does, you know, and we keep pointing to these words, and the world is defining them for, the, uh, for us. But do you know what? In 10 years, those definitions are going to change. And I have to understand that those are, you know, winds of doctrine that are designed to take me as a believer away from my security in Jesus Christ. And if I listen to it at all, you ever been told you're worthless? <laughs> you ever sat on the bench when you didn't deserve it? <laughs> you ever been taken out of the game? You've ever been, you know, so, told you can never amount to anything in your life? I mean, these are things, these are winds of doctrines, but when we understand what God says, it becomes something very different in my life. And I have to establish in my life what God says is true or is it not. It does, I don't have to always agree with God. There's a big difference here. I can wrestle with God. You read about anybody in the Bible disagreeing with God? Like happens a few times, doesn't it? I think every single person in the Bible disagreed with God. But they never questioned who he was. They wrestled with his will. They wrestled with his uh, you know, direction. But they knew who he was. It's the same with us. If we don't know our father, if we don't know our master, if we are not tethered to him, if we're not a bondservant to him, and we don't even know his will, then how... Is it going to be when we hear another voice or another master speak to us? We run over there, we run over there, we run over there. I mean, I've been told many things. I've been told that I'm, you know, I'm not saying it specifically, but we've been told that we are worthless. We've been told we are not loved. Our own mind tells us these things. It's called psychic noise. We say like 3,000 words to ourselves a day. You know, and those words that we speak to ourselves can often be negative, and we believe in something that is not true. Where is that coming from? That is another wind, that is another doctrine. But God is saying, what is He saying? God is saying, don't doubt. James 1. Verse 7, don't doubt. Don't doubt. Because in Matthew 6, if I doubt, it is evidence of the fact that I am serving two masters. You know, verse 24 is so important because how this plays out defines the rest of Matthew 26. Because how does verse 25 start? Therefore, what does it say? Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. Therefore, therefore, this word here is, is such a blessing to me because I want, I want to read what this means. Um, if I can find it here in my notes. Therefore, that you may not serve riches, but have unshaken confidence in God, I say unto you. Meaning that if you are able to, you may or you may not. I mean, in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, you shall not serve two masters. But that shall not is, is you may serve two masters or you may not. And how does that play out isn't up to God. If it's God's choice, if it's God's will, we would all be serving him. But you may or may not is determined by what? By me. The choices that I make in this life, by the things that I determine as being uh, important and having priority. Like, it, is God priority in my life? 
That is a choice that I make, and I'm, I'm so thankful that in, for you guys, you have made that decision that God is priority. And there are other people going to other great churches this morning, this evening, and what are they doing? They're making God their priority. And I, I pray that God would lead us and God would lead them into a deeper walk would it be even a bigger priority where these churches would no longer only have Sunday meetings. Like I, I, I read a, a little thing this morning that, you know, we're closed because of summer vacation. You know, and I pray that God, you can go on vacation, it's okay. Go to the beach and eat French fries and walk on the beach, it's okay. You know, but I, I pray that God would lead us in a, such a way that our walk with him would be such a priority that we would not shut down on Sundays in the summer, but we could stay open because we have confidence in this very thing that he is God and he reigns. But also that we would go beyond that. We, we want it to be more than Sunday mornings. I want to experience God more than Sunday mornings. That's why we have Thursday night Bible studies. That's why we like Bible school. That's why we want to have prayer meetings. That's why we have small groups at Rich's house. It's because Jesus Christ is becoming the priority in my life. So therefore, something in my life changes. But on the other end, Matthew 6.24 says, Serve two masters. You love one and you hate the other. And this is interesting because God, Jesus in those passages, he doesn't define what you should love and what you should hate. It's actually kind of understood because of the overall message is you should love God. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's also Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> all right, it's presumed, okay, I'm talking about heaven, Jesus say. So if you love one, you will hate the other. And I was reading these verses. Can we have agape love towards another master? Is that possible? Ah, see, I was tricked on this one too. A few years ago, I learned, you know what? You know what? We can have agape love for another master. How about 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10? And it says, Demas has forsaken me and has loved. That is agape. He agape, he unconditionally loved the world system, the present world. Isn't that amazing? So can we, can we have unconditional love for another master? The answer is yes. 1 John 2.15. Love not the things of this world. Can we have love for another master? We can. James 4.4, 4, do not be friends, do not phileo with this world. Can we have unconditional love for another master? The answer is yes, we can. We can have unconditional love for many masters. I can unconditionally love myself. I can unconditionally love my work. I can unconditionally love my car. I mean, it happens. I can unconditionally love, you know, fill in the blank. But God is not their master. But we are commanded over and over again to love the Lord. We are commanded over and over and over again to love the Lord. Want to hear some verses? I'm not going to read them all, but Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 10, 12, love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 36, 36, love the Lord your God. Mark 12, 29, love the Lord your God. Mark 12, 33, love God. Luke 10, love God. Romans 8, love God. Hebrews 10, love God. 1 John chapter 5, love God. Love God. I mean, those are just a few verses that I, I wrote down as I was studying this morning. And how many times does the Bible say, love the Lord, love the Lord, love the Lord? And if we could say it in another way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he is saying, love me, become my servants. 
Because if you love me, you will hate something else. And you know what? This is interesting because this word hate, it can be defined two ways. And I was telling Kevin this morning, I would like to dive deeper into this, this Greek word, what hate means. But there's two meanings that I've seen that scholars say it means. One is to despise, kind of like normal Yankees hate the Red Sox, right? Right? The Yankee fans hate the Red Sox and vice versa. Right? We, you know, there, there could be a hate. What are some things that you could hate? Hate mushrooms on your pizza? You could hate going to work on Monday. You could hate your neighbors because they don't mow their lawn the right way. You could hate your boss because he gives you too much work to do. This word hate can be despised, and it can mean, you know, it's utter hatred. But that same word can also be used to love less. And it's interesting. So how do you decide which one fits where? I don't know. But it's interesting. This word, every time that it's used in, in in the Gospels, this word hate is only used by Jesus. You know, and I was asking myself, and I could ask you the same question, are there things that we should love less in our lives? And could we go as far as saying that we should actually despise them? Now, I don't want to be too hard. I mean, some of you guys might like fishing, you know. Should you despise fishing? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some of you should, <laughs> you know. But uh, if it is taking place over God, there is something wrong. That's what Jesus is saying here. If it is taking place, if, it is, if fishing is becoming your master, if golf is becoming your master, you know, if, if something is becoming your master, you know, it is saying that we need to submit our will to the will of the Father. And then if we love the Lord, it is saying, this is all premising on love God, love God, love God. And then it is the therefore, what will happen in my life? Therefore, I love that, Matthew chapter 6, 25, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. If I am not God's servant, if there is another love besides God in my life, then do you know what I have to do? I have to worry about my life. Because all these things are not going to be enough to meet my daily needs. Because the troubles that I meet today are too big for me. I'm sorry, guys. Some of you guys are strong. You can plan things out. But you know what? You can plan everything else and then still find yourself in trouble. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were mentioning about some, some, someone that they know. You know, they, the, the husband had a ton of money, you know, millions of dollars, and was doing well, nice house, nice cars, put the kids through college. Husband dies, no money. Because all the money was spent for the kids going to college and blah, blah, blah. And now nothing. All that planning, all that money, all that working hard, all that relationships that were lost, everything that you, you had nothing. And then you're left with nothing. What? Guess what? Jesus still says, love me. And therefore, don't worry. You know that word worry? You know what it means? It means don't have a care and don't be anxious for a single thing. I don't want to touch a nerve maybe for a minute, but how many Americans have anxiety issues? <laughs> yeah, lots. And, but this is saying, therefore, because of my love being Christ, I don't have to be anxious about my life. If I have a love for God. I want to be careful here because this isn't prosperity gospel. Like if I have enough faith, then God's going to take care of everything. No, no. This is saying our emotions. This is saying that our emotions can be healed, that God could come in and we could be in a lot of trouble. We could be in prison, you know, Paul and Silas. We could be, you know, crucified upside down, Peter. 
You know, we could be, you know, burned at the stake, like, uh, or we could be thrown in the Colosseum, eaten by lions, right? They were believers, and they had greater faith than I could ever have. And yet, they were not anxious. Why? Because they knew their love. They knew their love. This word for anxious is the same word that Jesus uses to rebuke Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. He commands Martha not to have a habit of worry about food and clothing. That's what she was. She was worried about food. She was worried about food. I mean, I kind of worry about food sometimes, just because I like food. (laughs) But I'm not anxious about it. I'm not anxious about it. Why? Because I know my Father. See, Jesus here rebukes him. It is the same command. It is the same rebuke that he is giving us here in in Matthew chapter 6. And he's repeating it again in verse 31. He says, don't become anxious. Don't grow anxious. Because it is something that can become a habit in your life where you're anxious for this and you're anxious for that. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, there is no reason for you to be anxious. There's no reason for you to care about these things. And here is the thing that we have to understand. It's usually the anxiety and the care that leads us to serve another master. That's what usually happens. But Jesus is saying, don't worry. Don't worry because you love me. And I was thinking about this. This isn't a message when I was reading it and I was reading, you know, some of these commentaries and study books, they link verses and they want to whip you up and they want to tell you that you got to have confidence in God and stop serving your sin and stop serving yourself. And, stop, and that's how some preachers want to preach it. And maybe there's a time and a message and a place for that. But what we read here is that I don't have to serve my sin. Why? Because if God, if I love God, he will meet all of my needs. Isn't that a different message? Versus if you do, if you do, if you do, then this will be the result and then you can love God and God will add all these things into your life. No, he's saying that you don't have to serve your sin because of who Jesus is in your life. And if you love him, he will reveal himself to be faithful to you over and over and over again. And I'm not going to have a mansion. I'm not going to have a nice car. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Yeah, amen, right? Because Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. See, if I am serving God and I am loving him here, that's what God, that's what God wants. Don't seek those other things. And you know, it, it means that we have to be at church. I mean, 3.30, this, this is an inconvenient time. I agree with you. But do you know what? God and my love for him is not inconvenient. Is, that is not, an, that's, that's an, uh, you know, I mean, you guys know the commitment that, you know, some of us have made, and there is no doubt we do this because we love God. We do this because we love God. And there are other sacrifices maybe that God will call us to, you know, in your own life. It's a personal sacrifice that he will call you to. But he only calls it to you as you are loving him. As you are as you are loving him. But I love that. Let's close with that. Matthew chapter six. Thank you guys for being here. I believe we have something special here in this church because of who you guys are, the message that we have. In one sense, is special, but it's not special, but it is special. Verse 31, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. 
Sufficient for the day is of its own trouble. If I don't know, like we opened up in the message, if I don't know who Jesus is, right? I mean, it says there, your heavenly Father knows all your needs. If I don't know him as my Father, look at how much I miss out. We need to know him. Yes, he is my master, but he's also, we see here, he is my father. He's also the provider of all my needs. He also understands my heart in a way that nobody else can. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for everybody being here. And we pray that we can leave this uh, room and that this message was encouraging. Uh, we never want to hammer people with the Bible. Um, you know, the Bible is not Santa Claus. You better be good, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's not what we teach here. But we teach that there is a cause in our life, and the cause is the cross. And because of that cause, there can be a great effect in our hearts. And we want us all to use our free will to have that effect take place. And I just pray today that the pot could be stirred, our faith could be stirred a little fire in our belly as we were reading the past couple weeks on Thursday nights. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I promise you'll be, actually it looks like it'll be out early, so we have a special presentation today. So, Pastor Gary, you want to come on up? It's his 70th birthday. No. <laughs> no, it's not his birthday. But if you want to get him presents, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> yeah, I just want to hold this. We got um, three things we're going to present to three men in our, our congregation here. This is a document that is uh, in our church. Uh, this is like our version of, of, of um, a deacon, I guess you could say, but we call it a license to preach. And it says, this document certifies that the Greater Grace Church of Frederick confers upon the above-named individuals this license to preach. This qualifies him to preach the gospel under the authority of Greater Grace Church of Frederick. He may function as a team leader or in other leadership roles as his overseeing pastor may delegate. He must be accountable to the leadership of the local church under which he serves. Uh, this is not a full ordination. Um, so we're going to present this to a couple guys. And I was just thinking about this. And, and I don't know, maybe Pastor Gary could have a few thoughts about this idea but when we look through the Bible, we see that Moses was serving God, and he was overwhelmed, right? And what did uh, Moses' father-in-law, you know, father-in-laws are pretty good, I guess, huh? Moses' Moses's father-in-law said, why don't you get some help? And then he gets 70 men of good reputation to help him lead Israel through the wilderness. Isn't that what happened with Moses? We see the same thing in the New Testament where... You know, the disciples were very busy preaching, and they, they just found themselves so busy doing so much that they got seven deacons, right? And one of them preached such a fiery message, he got stoned for it, right? You, you guys ready for that? <laughs> uh, and um, I, we see these kind of things in the Bible where people are given this kind of office in the, in the congregation to really um, be a team leader. And when we look at a team leader, there's two ways to look at it. One is a pyramid, and everybody else is underneath you, and you're working your way to the top. And that's uh, how some organizations look at leadership. But really, in our uh, biblical idea of leadership is really that everybody is on top and those that have leadership positions and are team leaders are kind of at the bottom carrying the weights. In this church, uh, we have been through a lot in two years. 
I mean, we could sit and tell stories, and we could shed tears of, of those stories. We could tell of people that have come and people that we have lost, that have left, that we have, could tell of people that we've lost, and we could shed tears. We've been through a lot in two years. And that is only possible because of the leadership that we have. And we have, you know, Pastor Gary as the assistant pastor helping carry that burden. We have Boyette as a trustee, Ryan as a trustee carrying that weight, and Pastor Jason as an elder carrying that weight. And now we are looking to some other men in the church. And when we look at them this way, we are seeing it like this. Not that they have passed the tests, but that they're already functioning in this way. Um, that's the biblical way we like to look at it, is that we don't promote people because they have done enough qualifications and now they need to be promoted. We promote people who are already functioning in their gifts. And um, did you want to say anything else about that? I mean, yeah, not, nothing else really to add, Pastor Dennis, except, I mean, I think the body also, when you know, when we present these, we'll, we'll see also the same, right? These, these, are, these men are servants, and, and uh, we're just committing them as faithful men to you and the body, right? They're for you. These men are for you. Really, that's what, that's what it is, and so it's an honor to have, have these men with us and, uh, you know, to have this. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have you guys come up. So um, just give them a round of applause as we read their names. Are you taking pictures? <laughs> All right. The first one we have is uh, Gary Plowman. So how many of you guys have been ministered to by him, right? Yeah. I mean, the homeless outreach, uh, picking people up, late phone calls, even though he goes to bed early. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's been a servant, and he's been functioning this way as a team leader. That's why for us it was just a no-brainer, you know. All right, the next one is uh, Rich Testo. So, Rich, as uh, most of you guys have probably been to his house, right? Yeah. <laughs> and probably have eaten there, you know, because he's that kind of guy. And um, just what he's doing in the neighborhood, he and Jill, actually, what they're doing in the whole neighborhood is really amazing. Um, yeah. And the last one is Boyette. Boyette was in Bible school, and uh, he had to come here because it's part of his practicum. So to graduate Bible school, you have to practice what you're being taught, and it gets assigned to you or suggested, and he was assigned slash suggested to come to Frederick with Pastor Jason, and uh, he hasn't left yet. <laughs> I mean, and he shows up. I mean, I, I, I've gone to, you know, Rich's house. Like, I'm going to go to the, you know, the midweek, you know, small group meeting, and I show up, and, and, and Boyette is there. And then I'm like, I'm just going to randomly show up to the homeless outreach, uh, and, and Boyette is there. And then it, it's the, the burger night, and then Boyette's there. And then yesterday, did you not pick up Bobby from Frederick and then drove? So, I mean, it was like, what, four hours of driving yesterday? Yeah. I mean, so when we think about these guys, actually, why don't we get everybody up here, get you guys back up here. Give him a round of applause. So we're going to um, pray. And actually, last year, Adam Obess got the same license to preach. It doesn't expire. So 
There's no expiration date. <laughs> no, yeah, we want everybody to see you guys, so don't hide behind me. <laughs> so these guys are here, you know, they're servants, they're here to help. Um, we're, we're looking forward to seeing them grow in their gifts as they serve the body, and we'll probably be leaning on them a little bit more as the church grows to helping us with um, leading people and counseling people sometimes, uh, loving people. So we're just going to, um, are you guys going to pray for them, aren't you? Because if they're leaders for you, I mean, they're going to be in trouble by the devil if they're not already, uh, and we need them to be in tip-top shape. So they need our prayers, and we're just going to have Pastor Gary pray for them now. All right, let's just bow our heads and pray for them together. So, Lord, we just thank you for these men uh, that we have with us, Rich, Gary, Boyette, and we just uh, pray a blessing over them, a covering over them, God, protection. Uh, just be with them in their quiet time with you, their communion with you, their families. We pray for them, God, each step, and uh, just cover them in all the details of their life, their jobs, their personal life, the church the, uh, that they're operating in now with us and the work that they have. And uh, we see it in them, you see it, and so we're asking a, a special blessing and covering on them and protection as they go forward with you and with us in this great commission, this call together. In Jesus' name, we commit them to you. Amen. All right. Hey, so um, we're going to dismiss now. We have like a few snacks and stuff to kind of celebrate, what, you know, promoting. I don't know. How do we call this? Is it okay to say promotion? Acknowledgement. There we go. Thanks, Jeff. We're acknowledging these guys. So. so Heavenly Father, just as we go and help us to have great fellowship, help us to think about the message. Uh, let us be challenged to grow in our walk with God and to ask God, could you? Let's ask God those questions. Could you, Lord? Then fill in the blank. God, could you? We just thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. All right. Thank you, guys.